0: So I think build the foundation and tweak the little things on top because that's what's going to last long term and be a way that we can actually enjoy what we're doing and get those results and maintain those results long term. I feel like too many people are chopping and changing and chopping and changing Mm. and that we run into problems because a we're doing things we don't really like b we're doing things that we have to mold ourselves into so when anything gets too hard or too busy we revert straight back to our old habits which if we haven't built a foundation those old habits are pretty crappy at the best of times. so spend the time building the good habits building the healthy foundation and in 10 years time your future self will thank you for that
1: deep balance on. I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. Alrighty Balancers, today's guest is an Australian media dietitian, nutritionist, sports dietitian and online social media influencer known as, spoiler alert, the fitness dietitian. She specializes in a coaching career driven women through her worldwide coaching business and has two top rated podcasts with over 2 million downloads. I'm so honored to be having a chat and sitting down today with the incredible Leanne Ward. Leanne, a big welcome to the Series podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. Now I know I've sort of already rattled off everything you do all the projects that you're involved in and I'm really curious to know off the back of that what does a typical day in your life look like especially as a as a mama and fresh mama as well
0: yeah so my little bub is five five months this week oh my goodness it's gone so fast so I'm a full-time mum I'm working full-time um hubby and I are building our dream house here in Brisbane which oh my goodness has taken so much longer than we've expected so we've only just broken ground like we've demoed it and they're starting the excavation works um this week and it's been a year in the making so far and they're telling us it'll be a whole nother year so currently you know Doing the Aussie dream of building my own home, um, running a couple of different businesses, wearing a few different hats. As you mentioned, I've got my two podcasts, the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast and the Nutrition Catch Podcast. Um, I am obviously a dietitian, nutritionist. I'm a recipe creator. I'm a brand ambassador. Um, I do a lot of stuff online and with my one-on-one coaching ladies as well. I host some events. Um, I just i am a big foodie. You know, I just like food and I like talking about food and talking about health and nutrition and just helping people and, you know, even creating content for Instagram and TikTok as well. So... I just think I run out of minutes and hours every single day, but somehow I managed to wear a couple of different hats and manage a few different things. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell.
1: Love it. What a good little nutshell you've got going on. I'm, um, I'm curious because a lot of people listening will be like, wow, how do you do it all? Do you sort of have any um, things that you feel really help, help you kind of keep or on top of everything you've got going on? Or do you have sort of uh, techniques or habits that you feel help you mesh it all together?
0: Not really. Honestly, my life is a little bit crazy. Even my friends are like, (laughs) "You were just insane!" Like they're like, "Can you come for coffee?" I'm like, "No, not this week, sorry." I think I'm very (laughs) fortunate that my hubby took three or four months of paternity leave. So when Mia was first born, he was at home with us. So although I went back to work straight away, um, practically, you know, running your own business, it's it's sort of that expected thing. It's hard to have a bit of downtime when you when you're juggling this many hats. So um, I went back to work straight away. He was sort of there. He'd you know pass me over when she needed a bit of feed and have a little cuddle, then I'd get back to work. So he was really helpful in the very beginning he's back at work full-time now um but only goes into the office a couple of days a week so on the days that he's home we really both knuckle down I'll take it for an hour or two um he'll pump out some work then he'll take her for an hour or two play with it I'll pop out some work then we put her down around sort of six thirty, seven 7 p.m and then we'll both work from like 7 p.m till 10 p.m dream feed her and then we'll like pass out to bed so <laughs> I like to think that I have it all together or maybe I have that illusion but honestly I'm a red hot mess to be honest I don't really have I guess those systems in place that I would like to I think it's pretty hard with a baby but I do yeah. try to sort of you know Monday Tuesday I, I do my you know my meal plans for my my coaching clients I like to do a little bit of you know prep in terms of um, preparing for my my content for social media and then Wednesdays and Thursdays they're more like creative days where I might do some podcast recordings and that sort of thing and then Friday Saturdays is really like mummy me time with Mia um, I might catch up with a couple of friends or something and then Saturdays and Sundays it's not true Traditional, but I tend to do a lot of work on Saturdays and Sundays because it's a bit easier I can you know sort of leave me with a bit of family or dad can take mm-hmm. her um, and I can sort of really pump out and knuckle down some work so I have a little bit of a non-traditional you know I did do, do a lot of work early morning before David might head into work 6 7 a.m I do a lot of early morning client calls with my UK and US ladies and then I might sort of have a little bit of fresh time during the day where I'm at home with her playing I'm taking her to the park that sort of thing and then I work late at night on weekends as well so it might sound a little bit crazy to some but it kind of <laughs> works for us we manage it we get it done and it means that I get to do the best of both worlds and build my career but also you know spend time with my little baby as well which is nice
1: no that's it's really refreshing to hear and I think it's good for people to hear and think like you know you think someone's lifestyle looks a certain way on the outside but when you get to know what their day in day out looks like it's um it's not always you know picture perfect to everybody's opinion. But what I'm hearing there is three things that really help you, I guess, stay on top of everything. And that's saying no. A lot of people find it hard and wouldn't say no to their friends to go to coffee. So that's definitely a superpower you've got that you're probably not aware of, or maybe something that comes naturally to you. The second thing sounds like you have a super supportive husband who helps you really like navigate your priorities. And it sounds like you've got a really good, um, balanced combination there with, with your parenting versus your work style. And the last thing is you've just also explained like how you kind of compartmentalize your week and whether that's intentional or not, you kind of have those intentions every single day when you start your day. So even if you have heaps to do or heaps going on, at least you have a little bit of structure or for example, you know, you can do a block early in the morning or a block late at night. So it's interesting, like as you're speaking out loud, I'm like, well, you really do have like a couple things there that help you stay on track um, that you may probably not may or may not be consciously aware of but it's, it's always really cool to hear people's journeys and just people's interesting stories um just to reflect on I suppose and, and compare for your own um for your own life so yeah that's really cool you sound like a, a busy bee and um and I definitely want to pick your brain on your professional expertise but before we dive in I'm just mm. curious to know what kind of led you to um go down like the nutrition dietitian pathway was that something you always knew when you were younger that you're passionate about or did you fall into it through another means?
0: I was always passionate about it like if you talk to the younger version of me in what grade 8, grade 9, grade 10 I always wanted to do something in the health field or something helping people so the very very first career you know when they ask you when you're about 10 years old what do you want to do <laughs> the very first thing I ever wanted to do was be a flight attendant and I'm six foot one so a lot of people because they follow me on social media they don't realize how tall I am and they meet me in real life they're like oh my goodness you're so tall so I learned very <laughs> early on that there is a height limit to being a flight attendant and you also have to wear heels and I'm like I don't want to spend my entire career knocking my head on like the top of the cabin I was like that job's not for me so next I was like I dream crushed <laughs> Okay, exactly right. I was like living this like life of luxury, travelling all around the world. I was like, this is gonna be amazing. And I was like, all right, there's our height limit. Like, wow, that's upsetting. <laughs> so next up on the list uh it was I wanted to be a physiotherapist because I thought, you know, I love sport, I love health, I wanna be able to help people, I wanna be able to heal them from injuries. And I did a week of work experience with a close family friend who was a sports physio and she used to get a lot of the local football teams with their injuries on their legs and I remember I spent a week with her and I'd have to lean over the massage bed and she'd work on say the left leg, a leg which was injured and then she'd be like why don't you just give them a massage on the right leg or something like that and I was like my hands were numb after like five minutes my back was sore <laughs> after leaning over like a, a bed all week and I was like I don't think this is for me I don't have strong enough <laughs> hands and my back being so tall I, was like, I don't think I could lean over and massage people for nine hours a day every day I think that mm. would sort of break my back so I was like yeah all right new career choice <laughs> so then I really wanted to either study medicine or go into nutrition and dietetics and I think the thing for me was I've always been a foodie like I just love food and I thought you know what I didn't really understand what dietetics was I think to begin with and it was just I really learned that you could heal people through food um, and I was like I really like that concept that you can reverse somebody's diabetes or you can help someone with food intolerances really like improve the quality of their life through good quality nutrition so for me mm. I've always had a love. Of food. I always wanted to be in a field that was helping or assisting people. Um, and so I think naturally I kind of fell into it, but I always sort of wanted to do it as well. And my mum's a big foodie at heart. She made a lot of things from scratch when we were growing up always had her Beautiful. own like herb gardens, made her own tomato sauce, made her own plum jam, that sort of thing. So I've always had a really good base from that, I think, as well, and always had a love of cooking and making things from scratch. Like, I'm pretty sure when I was only about seven or eight years old, I could make an omelette, I could do a stir fry. Like, she was all had always taught us to cook from a really young age. So I really, really value and treasure that. And I think that led me down the path of dietetics as
1: well. Oh awesome. If only they had Kitty MasterChef back in the day, hey. Exactly. (laughs) um, I probably wouldn't have done very well because they get super like anxious as well though. (laughs) (laughs) What um what's your cultural background if you don't mind me asking?
0: Yeah, so my mum's Malaysian. So I'm half Malay, half Aussie.
1: Oh, awesome. Well, the food would, would have been incredible that you learned growing up or inspired from your mum. and how awesome that you actually had the opportunity to try out these things or or get to know the careers early on enough so that you didn't, you know, spend four years doing physio then to go work in it and hate it. So that's, that's quite cool that you, you were able to do that at the time. Um, what is the difference between just for anybody listening who may not be aware? What's the actual difference between dietetics and like nutrition, straight nutrition or studying? Is there a difference between studying the two? Like if you're a nutritionist or a dietitian.
0: Yeah. So it's really difficult because this is one of the only areas that isn't actually regulated in Australia and in large parts of the world. So anybody you yourself could call yourself a nutritionist anybody can call themselves a health coach anybody can call themselves a wellness blogger whatever it might be there's no regulation around the term nutritionist or health coach or um, health foodie or anything like that whereas the term dietitian is regulated so dietitian is one of the only terms that is actually regulated and so it means that we can work within either hospital systems or with clients one-on-one to treat uh, clinical conditions so things like diabetes kidney failure heart disease um, tpn which is where if somebody's in hospital or can't feed um, through the mouth we can feed them using intravenous nutrition through their veins. So we work with the clinical aspects basically and we work with a mm-hmm. background of what's called evidence-based nutrition. So nutrition uh messages with research and science to back them. Whereas the field or the term nutritionist can be regulated and cannot be. So a lot of university qualified nutritionists are very good nutritionists. They have the proper regulations. They also work with you know science behind them as a background but then as I mentioned anybody can really you can do a four week scoop on on Online. You can do a you know six week um online course or a certificate or something like that, which like you're just not as experienced. You haven't done the the hours of the practical component with the real life experience and having been mentored and having the regulations um through the industry bodies and that sort of thing. So it's a very difficult title, I guess. There are wonderful nutritionists out there and there are absolutely terrible nutritionists who have mm. honestly put patients in like in the ICU, that sort of thing. So it's a very it's a difficult term, but I would always say that. Most mostly dietetics is more that clinical one-on-one aspect working yep. with the chronic diseases and the different medical conditions whereas the term nutritionist is more or it used to be sort of known more as the population health you know working with groups or population groups around healthy eating and healthy lifestyles but not too much more of like the clinical aspect of yeah that. right um so it's sort of that sort of the differentiation but even having said that you can get a great nutritionist, but you can also get someone who doesn't really have the proper qualifications that sort of calling themselves nutritionists and doing things that are way outside of their scope as well. And same deal with PTs. Like I know a lot of PTs that are writing prescriptive nutrition plans for clients with diabetes and PCOS and they do not, like they're working completely out of scope as well. So it's a big... I guess area and a really big minefield for dietitians to work through because we're battling against people who don't have the qualifications because they don't really understand these clinical conditions and these medical conditions to advise like people think oh it's just food you can't do any harm with food but really you can particularly if there's Mm. a lot of different medical conditions on board so I think it's really that clinical aspect in nature and the medical conditions that we're treating that's the big difference I think.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's really useful. I think the biggest takeaway for me then is if you are dealing with something clinical, that's when you would go to a, a dietitian. I'm curious though, for anyone just wanting to work with a nutritionist, just off the back of I guess the information you've just shared, what would be like your tips, up? like what um, baseline level of education or certificate or something like that would you say would be um, sufficient to, to kind of be confident that they would be able to help you with like the general population health style?
0: Yeah, I mean lifestyle. I think – I love a university degree because it means I've done the practical component like for me in my dietetics I did an undergraduate a bachelor of health science majoring in nutrition um, and then I did a master's of dietetics on top of that so I've done over a year of practical components working with clients being mentored you know getting out there and sort of seeing the real deal and sitting in clinic and listening and learning through that sort of thing I think a lot of these like online nutrition certificates you don't have that clinical aspect you don't get that work experience component of that which to me is a little bit scary yeah and also so I would really Look for a university qualification. Somebody who's done their practical component. I would really look to ensure that they're registered, so they actually have some sort of insurance around them. Because the worst thing is, like I've heard from people DMing me on Instagram, being like, "Oh my god, I saw this, um, you know, nutritionist online. I ended up with kidney stones in the hospital because what she told me to do was blah 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 blah." And I'm sitting there reading it, being like, "Oh my goodness, that's so dangerous." And they've gone, "Well, how do I put a complaint in against them? If they're not registered, if they don't have the insurances, you can't really make any complaint against them." So I would absolutely make. Mm-hmm sure that the nutritionist that you're seeing has some sort of registration and or um or probably and insurances as well um and really just making sure that they follow or practice evidence-based nutrition so they're really putting out um ideas and and you know they're helping their clients with actual science behind it because i think a lot of people like you look up online it's like cut out gluten cut out dairy cut out this cut out that take out all of these supplements and i just think that's not evidence-based nutrition you're just kind of throwing everything in a client hoping that you know something sticks and it's really really Mm. expensive i've seen a lot of you know nutritionists and naturopaths and a lot of more of the holistic health world doing all of these really expensive like food intolerance tests and hair allergy tests and that sort of thing and there's actually no research or science to back it so clients are spending thousands of dollars on all of these testing processes that actually don't have the resource or science to back it so the results that they're getting from these tests are completely unfounded so it's mm-hmm. essentially they're just wasting their money from it so i think it's really important to have that understanding of evidence-based nutrition and understand how to apply that to our clients as well
1: Yeah, no, I think that's all really, really useful information. Thanks for sharing. Um, One thing that really caught my eye on your website, which resonates a lot with our own mission was this tagline of no one way of eating or one specific lifestyle suits everyone. And that's kind of the approach we take to balance, right? We're advocating to move away from the work-life balance formula, because that 50 50 split or the separation between work and life is just not reflective of everybody's reality you know you've got um, full-time moms who don't work at all that that doesn't work for them so the concept of balance is a shifting one that looks completely different to everybody and I love that you've also brought that into the eating aspect so my question to you is firstly how can people find what way of eating or lifestyle suits them best what's the most efficient way to actually Mm -hmm. find the way that suits them
0: I think you have to find what you enjoy, right? Because if you enjoy running or if you enjoy yoga, do that. But if you don't like kit, don't do that because somebody told you it was the best way to burn fat, right? If you like carbs, eat carbs. Don't do keto because you're going to be sad and miserable after that. Don't just do keto because someone told you it was magical. If you like carbs, eat the carbs, but find a way that works for you. I think what we're all trying to do is like... Adapt the diet or adapt the lifestyle that we see that works for somebody else and try to mold it into what we're already doing versus taking what we're doing and adapting that. So we shouldn't be trying to change everything that we're doing to Another diet or lifestyle, we should be taking what we're doing and tweaking it ever so slightly. So I think the best mm. way to a sustainable lifestyle is really just tweaking what we're doing. If we do a complete overhaul, like if we're somebody that enjoys eating carbs, enjoys cooking meals and having some toasts and you know eggs and that sort of thing for breakfast in the morning, or some granola and some some yogurt. If we then do keto and we have to put butter in our coffee and have bacon and eggs, and we don't really like all that high fat food, it's not going to be sustainable for us. And the minute you know if you're going to overhaul everything that you're doing the minute that you get busy or stressed or life gets in the way or one of your kids gets sick or your dog needs to go to the vet, whatever something pops up, you're going to revert straight back to your old habits. So my, I guess, theory is, and what I've always taught my clients is to build a healthy foundation first. So take what you're doing and tweak things one by one by one until we build a healthy foundation. And that's what true long-term lifestyle changes. We don't want the quick fix. We don't want the diet. Balance looks very different for everybody. And it changes throughout our life. Because if I look back on, myself when I was around 22 years old I was going through uni I was living out of home I was living um I got my first job out in Charleville which is like a rural sort of town in Queensland here and I was living in the nursing quarters so I was I was partying a lot we were drinking a lot we caught ourselves um you know like we were all in a big group that was like doctors nurses physios I was the I was the nutritionist out there we were all living in a big share house we'd cook together we'd go we'd party hard on a Friday at the pub we'd all play you know um social netball social TRL together it was a very different lifestyle so then when I started my master's degree years later i moved back in with mum and dad Mum was cooking really nourishing like stir fries i got my nutrition back on track i wasn't drinking or partying as much because i wanted to study really hard versus then me at around 27 my first full-time job working as a clinical dietitian in a hospital. I was making some good money. I had the money and the time to spend a little bit more on my health. I started doing something like F45 training regularly versus now me at 32. I'm a new mum. I don't have that time to you know, experiment with as many recipes as I do. I haven't been to the gym in months now, A, because of COVID and I was pregnant, so I didn't really want to go. But just my whole training and lifestyle has changed from 22 to 32. So I think as things change, what we want to do is have a healthy, foundation foundation always so we can pull from that and just tweak the top line thing so I've always trained I've always exercised when I was in my young 20s I enjoyed running and then I got into weightlifting then I went more into HIIT training then I went back to weightlifting and now as a new mom, all I can manage really is walking and I'm lucky if I get to the gym once a week I'm lucky if I do some form of strength training once a week but I've always loved meal prep and I've gone through my life where I was very much vegetarian um, focused before I met my hubby and then I sort of introduced meal a little bit now I've come back down to more of like like a flexitarian style living in a plant-based focus living. So I've always had the good foundations of a good diet. I've always had the movement set in with my lifestyle. I've always focused on my sleep. I've always focused on my stress levels and reducing that. But I've tweaked things as I go through different seasons of my life. So I think build the foundation and tweak the little things on top because that's what's going to last long term and be a way that we can actually enjoy what we're doing and get those results and maintain those results long-term. I feel like too many people are chopping and changing and chopping and changing, Mm. and that we run into problems because a we're doing things we don't really like b we're doing things that we have to mold ourselves into so when anything gets too hard or too busy we revert straight back to our old habits which if we haven't built the foundation those old habits are pretty crappy at the best of times. so spend the time building the good habits building the healthy foundation and in 10 years time your future self will thank you for all that
1: yeah no i absolutely love that and i love that you led with well what do you actually enjoy because A lot of people, when it comes to diet and fitness, they, like you said, they feel like they just need to do whatever is everyone's doing or whatever is trending thing is at the time that, that seems to be working for everybody else. And I've been that experience before where that, when the movement, I suppose, of like hit fast style training was in fashion, I started doing it and I didn't really enjoy that feeling of like smashing my body all the time, but I just went because I know all my friends were going and that's, that was the thing to do. But, but that question of do I, is this something I actually enjoy? I think it's such a nice place to start because it's not, um, you know, what is best for you. Like, I don't think anybody can tell you what's best for you. Like, that's a question you have to intuitively ask yourself. So, I love that you've started with that. And then the concept of having that foundation is brilliant because it allows you to move at those different phases of your life. So, from 22 year old you to 32 year old you, because you had that foundation, you could kind of evolve with those lifestyle changes, which, which I think is like the perfect way to, I guess, look at your health and diet, because then you're not boxed in to be like, well, you said you were vegetarian. Now you can't be like, there may be a point in time where you may need to introduce meat or, or change your diet for whatever health reasons or performance requirements. Um, so I think that's a really, really great approach. And, um, obviously everybody listening knows how well that fits in, I guess, with our philosophy too, but just to drill down and ask you something specifically only because you brought up the fact that you were vegetarian then you introduce meat. now you're more flexitarian is there any evidence because i feel like when the argument comes to being meat-free vegetarian or having meat you know you can kind of find arguments for anything these days mm. there's people mm. who will go like carnivore diet and others will be like none at all so is there any actual evidence for being meat-free or reducing meat are there any actual strong arguments for doing that or do you think that it's it's okay to have it in your diet
0: Absolutely, there's very good quality evidence that a plant focused diet is one of the best things that we can do for our our health overall, but also our gut health and to prevent things like chronic diseases long term. So, plant focused doesn't mean completely vegan, it doesn't mean completely vegetarian. I like to think of it as a flexitarian approach. So, a few meat based meals a week is absolutely okay with a focus and predominance on plant based nutrition, but that doesn't mean using like, you know, quote unquote, um, meat free chicken fillets. Like you know how you can get all those like meat-free bacon, meat-free free, sauce, yeah. meat free bacon, meat free yeah, All that that's crappy processed sort of vegan fake. That's not what we want. <laughs> with that fake protein, that is not what we want. We want the good yeah. quality protein sources. Like we want tofu and tempeh and beans and legumes and quinoa and um what else do we want? Um you know, we can even use things like lupin flakes and nutritional yeast and stuff because that's got good protein and fiber in it as well. So we want the basis of our diet to be mostly whole foods and not that overly processed sort of like fake vegan meat. So I feel like just saying i'm vegan or i'm vegetarian isn't good enough we need to have that whole food based focus because don't forget an oreo can be a vegan food is it good for us no you can make vegan brownies you can make vegan pizza hot chips are vegan it doesn't actually mean that it's good for us so it's the Mm. focus on the whole foods and the like the least processing and a plant forward diet which is what's going to serve us really really well so I don't think it's realistic to say that everybody should be vegan or everybody should give up meat because some people genuinely enjoy it and some people it's just not something that's going to work for them, their lifestyles, they might have health conditions, but there is a lot of great quality research to say that we should be eating more plant-focused meals every single week. Those meals should really have a predominant focus on lentils and legumes and beans as the, you know, predominant protein source, not the, um, you know, vegan burger, vegan i've seen like vegan based prawn like all that fake meat kind of stuff it's just Mm. so overly processed it tastes like rubber as well i don't actually know how people eat it i've tried it before (laughs) i'd actually rather have some normal prawns one day and then have a little bit of tofu or some beans or something the next day that's the balance (laughs) i like in my life because i realized for so long i i almost thought that i had to be vegetarian because that was this persona of this like healthy nutritionist that i was living and then i realized one day like Salmon is one of my absolute favorite foods in the whole world. And I was like, I would genuinely be sad if someone told me I couldn't eat salmon for the rest of my life. Same deal with cheese. Like, I am, like, cheese is one of my favorite foods in the whole world. If someone <laughs> said I had to give up dairy for the rest of my life, I would genuinely be very sad. So it's all about that balance. We don't have to give up those foods, but we need to have the predominant focus of our diet healthy foods, tons of veggies, whole grains, lentils, legumes, nuts, seeds, that sort of thing. And the quality of the dairy as well. It's not all good to say that oh, all dairy is bad of course if we're eating sour cream and cream and melted cheese on everything and ice cream of course that's not going to be great for us but if we're having some good quality like fermented milk or um greek yogurt with some good bacteria in it of course that's going to be a lot better than if we were eating like um coconut ice cream or something like that i think it's about the quality of the diet that matters versus the restriction or the label that you put on the diet
1: Yeah. And again, leading from that place of, well, what do I actually enjoy that way? You're not treating your diet as like, I'm punishing myself here, which I think is a big thing that a lot of people fall into. If I told you there was a device that not only tracked your sleep exercise and your menstrual cycle, but also gave you suggestions for how you should be training every day based off your performance in those areas. Would you believe me? I'll spare you the suspense because whoop have perfected this in their smartwatch. And since using it, I have become more confident, understanding and learning from my body's intuitive signals. I love reviewing my sleep performance every morning and comparing it with the rest of my week to see how having one or two coffees later in the day or reading before bed changes my sleep quality. Yes, you can track all of these things and more like alcoholic drinks, whether you felt socially fulfilled that day, meditated, etc. To see what combination gives you the best quality of sleep. The best part for us women as well is it also factors in our menstrual cycle. You know how I have heaps of guests on that talk about training with your cycle? This literally takes the guesswork out of remembering which part of the month is better for what and will cue you and actually make suggestions every morning on what style is more appropriate. So on the first day of my cycle, it reminds me that based off where my hormones are at, resistance training is more appropriate. And what's crazy is it always reflects exactly how I'm feeling. It's been game changing for my balance because it honors that every day is different and reminds me that I intuitively know these things, but teaches me how to listen to them. If you want to try it out for yourself, click the link in the show notes and get your first month free. Now let's get back to the episode. Two questions to get really granular on like food specifically. So when you say like I'm um, having a big focus on like beans and legumes, what what are your thoughts on the quality of like the canned beans in like your coals and woolies because that's kind of like the easiest way I guess to access them but I'm I'm curious to know about the actual um quality of buying those versus like soaking them yourself oh
0: they're awesome I totally use canned lentils and beans all the time so for like what a dollar twenty, you can get yeah, such cheap. a nourishing base for your meal. They're so cheap. I'm a busy mum, I wear like multiple hats in my business. I don't have time to soak my legumes overnight. I don't know about you. <laughs> I'm really you glad to hear that. You. <laughs> yeah, there is absolutely nothing wrong with using them. They're cheap as chips, they're convenient and they're a great, great nourishing basis. The only thing I would say is wash them really well. Because to make yep. them shelf stable, they typically sit in brine or they sit in like a salty liquid. So just take them out, give them a really good rinse and they're good to go. They are absolutely just as nourishing as if you were to soak them yourself as well.
1: Amazing. And my second question is, if we're going to say have more flexitarian approach, or we're only having meat a couple of times a week, are there um, meats that are better to have? So I guess my question is more like if you're limiting, and you're only going to be selective, are are there certain meats or seafood that's better to have over others? Or it's kind of just personal preference?
0: Yeah. So again, if we look at the bulk of the research, there is actually really strong research that processed red meats uh, uh, basically can lead to potential cancers long-term, things like prostate cancer. So things like salami, cabana, Bacon, um, even like deli ham that you get from like the deli, they're the things that mm. we want to significantly limit. It's not, not to say we can never have some salami in a cheese platter again, but they're not like we don't want to be having ham on our Regular. sandwich every second day, salami on our sandwich every day, bacon and eggs for every weekend. We really want to reduce the bulk of that in our diet because there is good quality research that can lead. I don't want to scare anyone out there, of course, but it can potentially lead to things like cancer long term. So, the best mm-hmm. quality protein I know of, um, or what the research shows us, is, is really things. Like our oily fishes. So, trying to include things like fish and salmon two to three times a week is really, really good quality research. Then, when it comes to like leanness in protein, white fish, turkey, and chicken, they're very lean. So, including them a couple of times a week as well. And then, of course, red meat is a really good source of iron. So, some good quality um with like billet or something, and also some pork as well. As long as it's pretty lean, much trimming the fat off it, it's really actually a good healthy addition to our diet. Lots of different vitamins, lots of iron as well. If you choose not to eat that, that's absolutely okay. But, I I think that there shouldn't be any fear around that or to say that you can't have those foods because they're quote unquote bad for us. I think it really does come down to the mix. So I like to say, I want to have, you know, two, three vegetarian sauces. If I'm just thinking about my dinners across the seven days of the week, I might have two or three vegetarian meals, one or two with salmon or fish, one with chicken, and then one with uh, maybe a little bit of red meat or some tofu or something like that. That's sort of how I like the, the blend or the balance to be. I think where we're running into problems, if you look at the bulk of most Aussies, is we're having sausages one night, meat another night, steak another night. And um, then we're going back to the sausages. Then we might be having a bit of bacon and some pasta. We we rarely ever have fish or salmon. The meat that we do have, if it's chicken, we might be having you know chicken drumsticks or wings where it's got the skin on, so it's a lot higher, you know, the saturated fat content of that. And um, we're rarely having the leaner proteins, and we're having a lot of red meat and a lot of processed red meat. So I think mm. that and honestly, from a budgeting perspective, I can see why a lot of families eat a lot of sausages and mincemeat meat because yeah, it is cheaper and it is a lot more budget friendly than something like salmon. But don't forget we can use things like tin tuna and tin salmon. They're really really affordable. Even some of the options are like crumb fish in the supermarket are are pretty good these days as well and tofu Mm. beans legumes eggs are a really good protein source as well they're all really good sources of protein that are um, you know pretty budget friendly as well at the end of the day people who say to me oh i can't eat plants or i can't afford vegetables it's too expensive um just go down the canned aisle you can pick up canned corn and peas and you know chickpeas and even things like mushrooms in the in the canned aisle for about a dollar a can so it can be a really really affordable addition to your diet i just think it's that balance we keep coming back to that word right because it's so important throughout the diet that really matters and how many times a week you are having these things
1: yeah and conversations like this just bring that awareness so you can reflect and go okay well what am I actually eating how many times am I eating and what's what's the what's the quality of the choices that I'm bringing in which I think there are a lot of options but um, I'm grateful that you kind of shared I guess the breakdown of within the actual meats, if you're only going to limit your exposure, which ones are probably favorable over others. And I love salmon. So that is great to hear. Mm. <laughs> and I'd love to move on to a little bit more in the gut health realm. Um, it, it's something I think has become a lot more spoken about, a bit more of a buzzword, like fix your gut, focus on your gut. Um, but I'm curious to know from like your professional perspective, what does poor gut health actually look and feel like? So for somebody who's maybe heard about gut health going around on, on other podcasts or maybe seen articles about it, what would it actually feel like to have poor gut health? Mm. So just a bit of background
0: and context here so people understand that I actually do know what I'm talking about. Um, I worked as a clinical dietitian in a Brisbane-based hospital for six years. And for many of those years, sort of three, four, five years, I was working as a senior gastroenterology dietitian. So we had one of the biggest gastroenterology clinics here in in Queensland. And um, I worked very closely with the gastro doctors in that clinic. So I've spent a long time with a lot of gut health-focused patients. So nothing annoys me more when I see somebody online being like, I'm a gut health I don't know, naturopath or something like that. And they're like, (laughs) cut out dairy, cut out gluten, cut out sugar, take all of these expensive supplements. And that's what good gut health means. I'm sorry, but I call BS because there is no research or science to back any of that. Sure. Some people struggle with wheat and bread. Sure. Some people struggle with lactose and dairy. It doesn't mean it's a blanket restriction that everybody should actually do that. And it's not dairy. That's a problem for most of us. It's lactose. It's not bread. That's a problem for most of us. It's like the fructans in the bread, not even the wheat itself. So I think a lot of people are calling themselves gut health experts online and they don't really understand the research or the science behind that so i just wanted to put that out there that if you're following somebody who's like cut out this cut out this cut out this cut out this i myself would run 100 miles you want to look at somebody with diversity and looking at things we can add into our diet from a gut health perspective so what does good gut health look like let's start with that to me, it means basically just the absence of symptoms and diseases. It means effective digestion. It means being healthy with regular bowel motions. It means a normal transit time. So you're eating the booze and you're not running to the bathroom instantly or you're not going to the bathroom, you know, three days or four days in a row or maybe you only have one bowel motion a week. It means that you have the normal absorption of different vitamins and minerals. It means you're not, you know, low in iron and v 12 because you've got celiac disease and your villi is all inflamed. It means that you have... Um, a normal, you know, a good focus on adequate sleep and adequate stress levels and immunity as well. And you have a diversity of of plants within your diet and a diversity of fibers. That's what good gut health means. When I think about red flags where I might say, okay, somebody may have some issues with their gut, I think about say like straining or pain or bleeding when you're going to the bathroom if you've got blood in your stools if you've got black tarry like stools if you have so much sort of gas and bloating that it causes you pain if you have to unbutton your jeans by the end of the day if you are so embarrassed to go out in social situations because your gas is so bad if you don't want to leave the house because you're unsure where you'll find the next toilet because you're not sure if you'll actually make it to the toilet if you have constant nausea or you have get reflux you know 20 Seven, or you have to lie down after you eat because you're so fatigued. All of those things to me, I think that's not normal. Sure, occasionally we all get a bit bloated, right? We all get a little bit constipated occasionally, especially if we're traveling. Sure, you know, around the time of our months, we feel we feel bloated and we feel puffy and like our digestion's all off. All of those things are normal. So really, what we're talking about is symptoms on a regular basis. So I would say a couple of times a month at least. And if you're getting these symptoms on a weekly or a daily basis, it's absolutely First point of call is your doctor or GP. We want to check off any red flags, make sure it's not anything more, you know, quite serious. Yeah, like cancer or inflammatory bowel disease or celiac disease or anything like that. And a lot of people with gut health, I guess, issues or digestions do come back with a diagnosis of IBS. So irritable bowel syndrome. Um, It basically just means that you have a hypersensitive gut and your gut health needs a little bit of nourishing and a little bit of loving.
1: (laughs) Perfect. I think, like, I obviously understand, like, through speaking to you and, and other people in your space, that, like, when we're talking about treating or diagnosing or eating for your gut, it's not really a one-size-fits-all. Um, but I, I have a question around, so say somebody listening feels like, yeah, I don't really have any of those symptoms ongoingly. I feel like I have a pretty good, stable gut Are there things that they could or should be eating just to take it to the next level? Like, is there anything we can be eating that I guess isn't harmful, that would just only be beneficial for our gut in like an overall sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think naturally occurring prebiotics, naturally occurring probiotics and lots of high fiber foods. So I think everybody, unless you've got a specific medical condition or someone said to you, Hey, um, you have an obstruction or you need a low fiber diet. I think we should all be aiming for high fiber diet. The majority of Australians don't eat anywhere near enough fiber. And like, I think it's something like 95% of Australians don't even eat enough vegetables. So as a nation, we have pretty pretty terrible health habits. So I think if the one focus we had was just to increase the amount of fiber and vegetables and salads in our diet overall, I think it would be a wonderful starting point for all of us. So what we want is natural prebiotics in our diet. So these feed the probiotics or so the good bacteria. Of course, we want the natural good bacteria. So we want to put in the good bacteria. We want to feed it with the prebiotics. And then we also want the high fiber foods as well, which the body can utilize and break down into things like short chain fatty acids. So that's what helps. Those bacterias help to strengthen the and gut health lining of your diet as well. So when I think about naturally occurring prebiotics, um, these are things that a lot of people with IBS do struggle to digest because of that hypersensitive gut. So it's not to say that we want to cut them all out because a lot of these are high FODMAP containing foods. We don't want to cut them out. Sometimes we can exclude them for like exclude them for a small period of time to see what our intolerance is like, but we always want to try and reintroduce them even at a really low level. So we're just continuously getting that drip feed of those natural prebiotics yeah. in. So, Legumes, beans, onion, peas, rolled oats, peaches, grapefruits, dates, garlic, asparagus, um, jewels, some artichokes, are a really good one. Barley, couscous, we look at our grains, um, cashews as well from a nut based perspective, um, even human breast milk. So, if you can or if you, it's within your power to, breastfeeding your baby is one of the best things that you can do for their gut health because your human breast milk does have naturally occurring prebiotics in it as well. So, one of the best things you can do from above, from that point of view, um, is actually give them human breast milk. If you can't get it yourself, there are are places around that do like um, breast milk banks as well which is a really awesome thing I think they do that really a lot in America but I think we're sort of getting onto it a little bit here as well so that's when I think about the pre-bornics that we want to put in The probiotics, everybody thinks of probiotics like a little pill on a shelf in a chemist. There's (laughs) so many foods that we can actually eat that contain naturally occurring probiotics. So our fermented milks, our fermented yogurts, fermented vegetables like kimchi, sauerkraut, tempeh is a vegetarian source of protein that not a lot of people think about. I think a lot of people know about tofu, but tempeh is a really good one as well. Miso, I love using miso as like part of a salad dressing or as a base of a soup. Kombucha is a really awesome drink, particularly if you're going to do something like dry your line, cut down on your eye intake having a little bit of kombucha is a really awesome drink I always like to take a little kombucha to me if I'm going to a party or going to like a friend's housewarming or something like that um and pickles as well are a natural type of probiotic um but if you're eating them on a cheeseburger probably cancels out the benefits of the probiotic effect
1: so it's like you didn't have the cheeseburger right Um, And then of course
0: our high fiber foods, right? So thinking our beans, legumes, our rolled oats, our quinoa, our nuts, our seeds, any of our fruits and our veggies, particularly with the skin on, you're going to get more fiber and our whole grains, like our whole grain breads and our high fiber pastas are really good foods as well. So the bulk of what is good for our gut health is carbs. So that's why I'm so anti-keto for the majority of people, because we're just We're hindering our gut health long-term, put it that way. The best thing we know we can do for our gut health is eat a high-fibre diet and eat a diversity of plants in our diet, up to 30-plus different types of plants a week and different types of fibres a week is one of the best things we know from the research and science that we can actually do from our gut health
1: yeah no i love that and it's it's quite nice to hear that you know keto isn't necessarily the best or most gut friendly diet because i do love carbs um and i, I know when people listening might think oh, wow 30 varieties of fruits and vegetables is so overwhelming or it's such a big number but when you actually think about how many meals you eat every week and if you did make a stir fry imagine how many you know veggies you can put in that or a minestrone soup or you know there are meals where you can kind of put so much in or even having snacks along the day so i think of everything you've just said everybody listening should just have a little think about I guess the diversity in their way because the biggest thing I take away from speaking to people like you is that diversity is key to feed like and kind of grow all the different bacteria in the gut it's kind of you're kind of limiting yourself if you're eating the same thing over and over From my understanding anyway.
0: Yeah. So even just fruits and veggies. So plants are basically just types of fiber. So it's fruits, it's veggies, it's nuts, it's seeds, it's herbs, it's whole grains. So say for Mm. example, you love overnight oats for breakfast, which so many people do, but most people get stuck on a rut and they go, right, oats, milk, chia seeds, peanut butter and blueberries. And I'm done. But if you were to use quinoa or brown rice as your base one day, if you were to use um, instead of putting peanut butter, use almond butter or cashew nut butter, or a little bit of um, tahini instead of blueberries, if you use raspberries or strawberries or mango or passion fruit or kiwi fruit, there's so many ways to get that diversity. You can very quickly achieve 30 different types of plants a week, very quickly. Often, if I make something like a stir fry for dinner, I'll get eight to ten serves of plants in there because I'll put like six, seven types of veggies in there. I'll have a a whole high fiber type of pasta or something with that then i'll add a few fresh herbs and a sprinkle of nuts or seeds on top as well which of course can count towards our plant points as well so don't think of it just as fruits and veggies because that could feel overwhelming think about it as different types of like fiber based points as well nuts count seeds count herbs count um high fiber products count as well so i think that's all really important to understand you don't have to stop eating your favorite foods just tweak the ingredients in those foods try a different fruit try a different veggie try a different nut you know everyone gets into that you know we all know that nuts are good for us for example we always eat almonds because you know they're a little bit more affordable than some of the other nuts they're yummy they're really convenient but try some walnuts try some pistachios try some pecans try some hazelnuts Mm. you know when was the last time we actually ate some hazelnuts if it wasn't in a jar of nutella Um, (laughs) there's so many wonderful benefits from all the different diversity of nuts and seeds so not only are we getting gut health benefits but every different type of even if we look at potato we've got white potato we've got um, orange potato we've got purple potato capsicums we've got yellow we've got green we've got red every different color every different type we are getting different vitamins different nutrients different Mm. antioxidants different phytochemicals the different colors so that's why eating the rainbow is such a important concept when it comes to good health because we're getting in different types of nutrients and vitamins and minerals so i really do think seasonal is important when we're eating but that diversity in the color profile is really important as well particularly from like an antioxidant and a polyphenol um perspective as well for general health
1: yeah, no, thank you for correcting me on that. Because when I, when I was thinking, you know, fiber, I'm thinking fruits and veggies, but it does make it a lot less daunting when you consider like the plants and the seed, uh, the nuts and the seeds and all of that in it as well. So that, that's great news for everybody listening too. Um, I think we've probably got time for me to squeeze in probably two listener questions and then I will let sure. you get back to your beautiful newborn. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the first question is when we have specific fitness goals, so say that's to lose weight or gain muscle, What are some ways we can sustainably adjust our diet for those sorts of targeted goal milestones? This
0: comes back to what I was saying before. I think the biggest tip that I have is to create the healthy foundation for every goal that you have in your life. So the basis of what you're doing is always like 70 to 80% the same. You're just tweaking the topping on this. So if you had three different stages, right, you had a weight loss stage, you had a maintenance phase, and you had a stage where you're gaining muscle, you're eating in a surplus, because we know that gaining muscle is easiest to do in a surplus. Sure, you can do it in a deficit if you're a newbie trainer. Sure, you can do it at maintenance. It's going to take you a lot longer, but it's actually if your goal was to gain strength and muscle it is much easier to do it a surplus so say we had three different stages what we want to do in all of those stages is have the foundation the same we want good quality nutrition we want a ton of vegetables and diversity. We want to move our body regularly. We want to reduce our stress. We want to focus on our sleep. We want to be mindful with our eating. We want to hydrate our body well. We want to listen to our hunger cues. The only thing that should change between the three different stages is the types of training that you're doing and the and maybe the amount of food that you're eating. So in a mm. stage where I'm losing weight, I'm still moving my body. In a stage that I'm maintaining my weight, I'm still moving my body. If I'm actively trying to gain muscle, I might take my yoga or my walking and move more strength training same deal with nutrition i still have good quality nutrition if i'm trying to lose weight if i'm maintaining weight i have good quality nutrition but i get to eat a bit more if i'm gaining muscle i have good quality nutrition but i might be eating a little bit more and having more protein sort of drip fed throughout the day so i think Mm. that the biggest thing here is again to get the foundation right so that you're doing these habits lifelong and when we're working on a specific goal like gaining muscle or dropping some body fat or like myself going through a postpartum journey you've got the basis right and we're just tweaking it it becomes so much less overwhelming when we get the foundations right so don't weave in and out of these different diets and these different trends that we see just figure out what do you enjoy what works well for you what's something that you can do sustainably long term work on that create the foundation create the habits and then go for the specific goal like i want to gain some muscle mass or i want to drop some body fat loss because once you do it with a good foundation that goal is so much easier to achieve first
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of avoids people like dropping in and out of those results. Cause I find when you just dramatically change, like your diet, I've seen it with like a lot of people um, in, in the space, you know, you dramatically drop in and out, like those results are kind of adjust accordingly as well but this is kind of like a really refreshing way to give people back their control to have that sustainable baseline and then adjust the small things on top like you were saying it's just about the toppings to just alter for the specific goals so um, really really like that answer the last question mm. I've got from a listener is what advice do you have for people that experience cooking fatigue or boredom with their food and as a result they experience like yo-yoing in and out of being healthy quite healthy get,
0: get on tiktok <laughs> like i've never seen such creative recipes in my whole life that i've seen on tiktok like i go on there oh i used to be on there daily creating content and since i've had me honestly probably like once a week but even i jump on i'm like what is that? I need to try that. I need that in my life. Like, honestly, get on TikTok. Another one I feel like when we're talking about the flexitarian style of eating and introducing more plant-based meals, do a Meatless Monday. You'll help save the planet. You'll save some money because, honestly, a lot of vegetarian meals are really budget friendly, and it'll force you to really get creative in the kitchen. Like, how can you take your lasagna and make that into a Meatless Monday dish? How can you take your favorite... Um, I don't know, tacos or something and make that vegetarian and meatless as well. I like to do what I call a Friday fake away. So growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't have a lot of takeaway. But my mum would always say, what takeaway do you want? And we'd say, mum, we want burgers. Mum, we want fish and chips. We want um, pizza. And she'd make it herself and she'd make a healthy version of it. So I like to think of it as like a Friday fake away. So whatever you're craving, if, is it some curry? Is it some Thai? Is it a pizza? We create a healthy version of your favorite takeaways in your kitchen. I, think really I love also, that. Yeah. um, I love it. Like my partner and I will always have pizza. We'll always have tacos or a nacho bowl or something. And people are like, oh my God, you eat that food? Like, how do you eat that and not gain weight? And it's just about like when you make things yourself, you can make it so much healthier. You can honestly make Mm. it more tasty and you don't feel like gross and bloated afterwards. If you were to go and order KFC versus if you made some chicken, battered it yourself, put it into the air fryer oven bake some you know chips as well um and put some nice coleslaw or something on the side you could basically make a healthy version of kfc you'd save yourself a lot of money your house would mm. be a lot better and my favorite thing is you get takeaways because i always make a little bit more so i can eat it for like lunch or dinner the next day <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. That's definitely my life hack too. you. Definitely. Cause you're always just thinking about what that food was so good, but you just killed two birds with one stone. So I love that the, the fake away Friday, that's a really, really good idea. Cause you do, you get those cravings of like, Oh, I just feel like getting this or, or some Thai or some curry. So that's like a really, really good idea to, I guess, combat that. And then also challenge yourself to not have that inertia when it comes to cooking and creativity i'm not saying
0: you can't have takeaway of course but i really think that we're eating it far too often and particularly with the pandemic my hubby and i were guilty with this at the very beginning where we're like we want to support all our local restaurants and cafes so we went from having takeaway maybe once a week to like two three four times a week we're like oh it's tuesday let's get some chinese oh it's wednesday let's go to mexican and then we sat back and we're like oh my goodness because you know a lot of people had a lot more money because they weren't traveling as much they weren't going out and drinking on the weekends like yeah. we had a lot more money to spend so we were supporting local and supporting all these local restaurants and cafes which i think is awesome but now coming out of the pandemic i feel like we've got into a lot of bad habits where we're utilizing uber eats a lot more we're ordering a lot more takeaways so i think that trying to be a little bit healthier saving a little bit of money making things from scratch yourself is a really great Spill and habit to get into and the other one i feel like is really good if you're experiencing a little bit of like cooking fatigue and boredom of course you've got to have that diversity like just you can still make it overnight change up some of the ingredients you can still mm. make a stir fry change up the base of it instead of adding rice noodles into it add Hokkien noodles or add rice or add quinoa or do something with zucchini noodles or something I think the um, yep. the diversity is important, but also try some different cooking appliances. So I'm obsessed with my air fryer at the moment. And coming into winter in Australia, I'm bringing out my slow cooker. I love a good slow cooker meal. So I think love don't just do everything. Cooker. Yeah, don't just do everything in a, in a fry pan. Use an air fryer. Yeah. Use a slow cooker. Use um, you know the oven, the oven. Use the microwave. Like there are so many different ways we can get creative with foods as well. Even just using different types of appliances. Like if you made something in a slow cooker or an air fryer versus making it in the oven or the fry pan, you're gonna get a very could be the same meal but a very different taste profile out of that meal so i think there are a lot of ways to get creative in the kitchen even watching things like master chef you know that makes me you know super motivated to try some different things as well because i'm like hey these are everyday aussies like basically being superstars and being pro chefs so they can do what i can too so i think just getting a little bit of motivation online or from some tv shows is really helpful as well
1: No, I love that. And I don't know about anyone listening, but I'm feeling hungry and inspired right now. So (laughs) thank you so much for sharing all your tips, your story, your journey, and your expertise. Um, I know the listeners would have gotten a lot out of it. I've certainly learned a lot out of having you on the show. So thank you so, so much. Now, if people want to follow along your journey or connect with you, where's the best place they can do so? And I'll pop some links in the show notes below.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram I'm at the fitness dietitian on TikTok, I'm Leanne Ward nutrition, just to make it confusing. My podcasts are the Leanne Ward nutrition podcast and the nutrition couch podcast. And um, we've been sitting at the top of the Australian charts in the, um, nutrition category for quite a while now. So definitely go give us a follow if you want to hear and learn more about nutrition. And if you're interested in applying for my one-on-one coaching, I only work with women in the fields of um, emotional eating, fat loss for women and, um, gut health as well. My coaching service is lean gut mind method, and you can apply for that. Um, through my website which is leangutmymethod.com.
1: Incredible well I'll pop links to all that below I would highly recommend as a listener of both your podcasts for everyone to go and check them out because they're so educational if today's given you any sort of insight then you'll love both of those um, but thank you so much for coming on the show today and I look forward to continuing to learn from you as as the episodes come rolling. Awesome. Thank you Eric for having me.